Welcome to Equisport Radio, your VIP pass to the world of horse racing. Down the stretchway comes, Cassidy digging in at the rail. Les Salzman, take you inside the gate, behind the scenes, to the heart of horse racing. Equisport Radio, get tied on. Welcome to the show. This is Les Salzman, and we've got a show today that focuses on a subject that's near and dear to my heart. That's the retired thoroughbred. Uh, a while back, I sold my business, and I really, you know, was sitting around the house, and I didn't have a lot to do. And it dawned on me, I'm kind of like an old racehorse, you know. After I'm done, what am I going to do? And then I said, boy, there's plenty I can do. And there's plenty these retired thoroughbreds can do. They need a job afterwards. And we're going to focus on that through the show today. Uh, and along those lines, a good friend of mine, uh, Scott Miller, and I came up with an idea of having an all thoroughbred horse show circuit here in Florida for those horses. And that's going to be kicking off in October of 2017. If you're interested, uh, the name of the association is the Florida Thoroughbred Horse Show Association. And if you want to visit our website, it's fthsa.com, fthsa.com. Before we bring on our first, actually our first two guests are from Canada, I want to talk a little bit about my favorite Canadian, a little horse that I trained years ago called Kirsch. And he, he wasn't much of a racehorse, although he did win six races. And when I got him, I think I bought him for about $2,500 and went, went on to win three or four races for me. And he was kind of a pet. He'd walk around the shed row without a shank, you know, and I didn't even have to bribe him to follow me with carrots. He would just, you know, be kind of like a pet. Uh, and But he decided he was done racing. And in those days, I was going from racetrack to racetrack. So I had no place to keep him, and my farrier told me about a family that was looking for a horse for their daughter. Well, I sent Kirsch out to these folks. Uh, they were about 15, 20 minutes away from the racetrack, uh, and about two weeks later, I got a phone call. Come out to the farm and take a look at him. He was already going over Cavaletti's, and oh, some 20 years later, I get get an email from the girl, the young girl that's now a woman who had him, and he had passed away at the age of 27 or 28. Uh, she had shown him until he was 24, and she said, you know, you gave me the best friend I've ever had. So these horses have a great life in front of them. We just have to give them the opportunity, and we're going to discuss that opportunity with all our guests this afternoon uh, right after these commercial breaks. So hang on, get tied on, and we'll be right back. They are superstar athletes, but they don't ask for more money or go on strike. They bring their best every time they play. They are great thoroughbreds, retired at Old Friends. And here's Commentator turning for home in the Whitney with a three-length lead. And here's Commentator to win the Whitney again. And boy, he did it with some front-running style today. All Commentator wants is a peppermint and to hang out with a couple of his pals, like Eclipse Award winners Hidden Lake and Sunshine Forever. 
or even a Breeders' Cup chant. Prize is surging, Sierra Roberto toward the inside, a driving finish in the turf, and here's the wire, and it is prized! Many of the past superstars of our sport are still running around. So come visit them at Old Friends in Georgetown, Kentucky, or at our Bobby Frankel division, Old Friends in Saratoga. I know they'll be glad to see you. Go to oldfriendsequine.org or call us at 502-863-1775. When you head to a horse sale, either looking to buy or sell, you really don't know what's going to happen. In the blink of an eye, horses can leave the ring undersold or overpriced. But what if there was a better way to ensure a fair market price for both the buyer and seller? Here at The Stable, this fall, we're offering just that. We offer the ability to see your yearlings hard at work while giving you a better chance to make informed decisions that are calculated, not spur of the moment. We'll also provide in-depth commentary from our trainers, blacksmiths, and veterinarians on how each horse is progressing. They're off. And the Met Mile, an anchor down, comes out running. Marking on the outside's got some early speed, too. Amis Flatter is away running in third. And coming through on the inside is Noble Bird to show some early speed. And then comes Stanford, calculator on the outside. Tamar Coos frosted down toward the rail. Upstart is next, and Blofeld is at the back of the field as they race up the backstretch. The leader is Noble Bird through a 22. And three opening quarter mile, anchor down three quarters of a length behind and well off the rail. And in between horses, marking is going to be sent on through on the inside now of Anchor Down and up into second. After that, running in fourth is Stanford, who's now two and a half lengths off the lead, moving for the turn. Then Amis Flatter, Tamar Coos, and Frosted down on the inside. Calculator upstart and Blofeld at the back of 45 and one half mile around the far turn. Noble Bird anchored down on the far outside and marking between them. And Frosted is right in behind that trio. Frosted is fourth with Stanford to his outside as they make their way toward the top of the stretch. Then it's Tamar Coos, upstart, and Blofeld anchor down in front as they come to the top of the stretch. It is anchor down, joined on the outside by Frosted. And Frosted has gone on by, and he has exploded. He is absolutely blowing his competition away. Oh, my goodness, look at Frosted today. Frosted's 10 in front. Frosted is absolutely rumped in the Met Mile. He was wrapped up at a final time of 1 minute 32.73 seconds. Anchored down, upstart, Amis Flatter. They were a mile behind him. Well, that race still gives me goosebumps every time I hear Larry Colmas' call. And the woman that we have on the line right now, Trish McLaughlin, galloped him a bunch of times and knows him pretty well. But while she probably likes Frosted an awful lot, she probably likes this horse called Pass the Point a little bit better. Am I correct, Trish? You are, but I have to correct you on that. I, I haven't sat on a racehorse in a very long time, so I never did get on Frosted, uh, a, a rider called Robert Massey with his rider. As far as galloping racehorses, it's been a quite a while since I've sat on one. <laughs> you, you got smart, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, yes, uh, I like hearing that uh, over and over again. That's a pretty nice race, though. <laughs> no, that, that, that was an amazing race. Now, you know, in... Chatting with you before the show, you, know, you had told me about uh, Past the Point, who's your off-the-track thoroughbred that you're working with right now. And yeah. uh, t tell us a little bit about him. 
as far as what he's doing now or, or how well, he's give, give, it, give us a little bit of history on him. He, um, he actually was a, was a two-year-old in training sale horse that was purchased for quite a lot of money. And then he actually began his career with Owen Hardy, had him at first. And then we acquired him a couple years later um, after he was second to Curlin in the Woodward here at Saratoga. So um, he just kind of trained. He was a little bit of a tough racehorse, like he was kind of a runoff a little bit. You had to have some good kind of quiet hands. Robert Massey also rode him quite a bit. And, um, but in the barn, he, he was lovely. He was so nice to be around, and this was still as a colt even. So um, we, he just trained along, and I noticed, you know, he was kind of a really nice mover on the racetrack, but he was a tough racehorse. Now, he went away with a few little issues, and when he came back to us, he was a gelding. So I thought, hmm, he's a gelding now. Okay, so there's my chance. I'll just put it in their ear that when he's done, you know, I would, I would love to, to have him, to move him to be a show horse. So uh, anyway, it came time to retire him, and, and he wasn't uh, injured in any way or that he couldn't go on to be a racehorse. Uh, but often Sheikh Mohammed decided, you know, let's retire him. And um, they could have probably, you know, dropped him in a claiming race, and uh, they didn't. They, uh, they let him be retired and go on. So then I acquired him, and um, he, I gave him a couple months off in, in the paddock just to kind of be a horse and... Like I said, he was uh, he's a little tough on the racetrack mentally, probably as well. So uh, then we just kind of started our training, and um, he was uh, he was a little bit on the difficult side. He wanted to pull, and and he had to get strong, kind of within himself and his body, and use different muscles, obviously, for what I wanted to do with him. So it took him a couple of years to kind of to to make the transition. And not because he couldn't, just because he had to get, I think, physically strong and maybe a little bit mentally strong. Because there are some that you can take right off the racetrack and just kind of carry on with. Um, through time and patience, and now he's developed into a very, very nice show horse. You know, you mentioned that he came off the track sound. And mm -hmm. I started looking at a couple of statistics and, you know, talking to a few people over the last couple of weeks. You know, the majority of these the horses that leave the racetrack leave the racetrack sound. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's great to see that, you know, there's a place for them to go forward and really still be athletes, but a different type of athlete. And you, you took a couple of years to get them to where you were showing them. And then you've been showing them now, what, for about five, six years? He's actually, I've had him for six years. He's actively been showing probably for three years now. And I actually, I just did, um, I did WEF, I did the Winter Equestrian Festival in Florida this year, which is where all the professionals are. And that was a big goal that I wanted to get to because I've never got a horse there before. And um, my horse, there's so many opportunities now. There's so many thoroughbred classes, you know, all over the country, which is so amazing to give uh, an incentive for people to work with them, to move them on to be the show horses. Because we all know, you know, they go on to be eventing, they go on to be polo, but as far as hunter jumpers, it, there's been a little break for a while because that's all the professionals ever had up until the warm blood uh, started getting popular. And uh, I'd like to see, I'd love to see the professionals get back on some thoroughbreds. It, it'd be it'd be great. Well, that's one of the reasons we decided to start this series 
because you know, I'm out in Wellington and talking to friends and people that we know, almost everybody that's over the age of 35 started out with a thoroughbred. Yeah. You know, th- their first horse was a thoroughbred. And as soon as I mentioned, you know, we're going to do a thoroughbred show, everybody kind of had a smile on their face and they said, well, maybe maybe we can fill a stall with one of those because I'd love to do it again. And I I, I think, you know, by exposing, not exposing, but maybe re-exposing people to it, uh, maybe we can get some momentum going. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you talk to, uh, I'm very good friends with um, Todd Minikis, uh, who uh, was on the alternate uh, for the Olympic team this year. Michael Matt, you know, uh, other professionals in that level. And you ask them, what about, you know, your thoroughbred? Oh, one of the best horses I ever sat on was a thoroughbred. <laughs> and it's like going back. That's not going back that far. But they, they are, they can't. And the people can ride them. That's what's great about it, you know. But like when the warm bloods came in, the thoroughbreds were just forgotten a little bit. Yeah, so we'll try and get their, their memories refreshed. And, and you've. Past the point isn't your first OTTB horse. You've you've taken other horses off the track and competed. Am I correct? I have. I've I've uh, actually competing wise. I mean, I showed when I was probably in my twenties, but then I hadn't shown again uh, until I got past the point. I would take them, reschool them, and move them on. Uh, past the point's probably the nicest one, the nicest OTTB that I've that I've had um, as far as competing. But I just figure I wanted to do something, at least just at least if I get one and and transform them show horse and then move them on, at least I was doing one. Because, you know, my time is a little bit limited because my job takes up quite a bit of my time. So to have, to get, I'd love to have another one to move on, but past the point is, uh, his name actually in the barn is Charlie. And he's just got into my heart and, and I just, I will keep him for life. Well, that's, that's great. Tell us a little bit about about the average day, because I think, you know, in talking to you and seeing you out at uh, Sunshine Meadows, you probably work, what, about 32 hours a day? (laughs) (laughs) Not quite, not quite that much, especially down in Florida. It's a little bit easier on me down there. I have a great staff of people in my barn or Kieran's barn that I can trust in the afternoon um, that I don't have to be there every day. Uh, so my day is working, obviously working with the racehorses in the morning. I go right from my barn right down to my horse in the afternoon. Spend about three, four, five hours maybe, depending if my husband's mad at me or not. <laughs> maybe go back in the afternoon. To, Neil never gets uh, mad at anybody. Race. I mean, he never gets mad that? at anybody. I said, Neil never gets mad at anybody. Am I correct? Well, I spend, <laughs> I spend quite a bit of time with that <laughs> So sometimes, but no, he, he supports me in that. He loves it. He, he treats him like he's his horse as well. So I'm very fortunate that way. Yeah, he's and, a great guy. Races, yeah, he's a good guy. I'm very lucky. <laughs> now, you know, and you're working in Karen's barn, and, and you're around some great horses all the time. What's that like? Yes, yes we're, very, we're very, very fortunate that we have amazing owners. And we get to work with the pedigrees that we do get to work with because when you walk down our shed row, it's it's kind of the who's who of brood mares that that we get to train. It's it's very nice. We're very fortunate. We're very appreciative as well. 
Now, you know, you guys have been doing this for a while. So now you're seeing the daughters and sons and grandsons and granddaughters of mares and, and studs that you've trained. That must be a cool yes. feeling. Yes, it's, uh, it's uh, well, too, like you go to Frosted, you know, we had all his sisters. Um, she, he hasn't had, she hasn't had another boy uh, out of Fast Cookie. So seeing that, and now we get to see, you know, daughters of daughters and sons of daughters. So, yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty neat. One, one of the questions that people always ask me is, do you see the same behavior? You know, we know that sires stamp their gets and mares often, get, you know, stamp their foals. But do you see the same type of behavior patterns in a lot of these horses from generation to generation? Yeah, yeah, sometimes. It depends um, It depends on the sires, too, because uh, they'll breed to different stallions than mares sometimes. So full, full brothers, full sisters, yeah, sometimes. And then sometimes it'll be, like, right out of the box. Like the frosted, uh, his we had macaroon with frosted sister. Uh, we had another filly. Uh, I can't recall her name, and they were all kind of tough horses. But then we have indulgent, who's actually running in the in the stake in the ruffian tomorrow, and she is as quiet and calm and nice, and you know nothing bothers her. Now she's a Bernardini. The other ones were tapping. So okay, you so see, you do see different things, but they're all runners, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> exactly, they all get their picture taken the same, right? Exactly, exactly, yes. And the reason I ask that question is so often people say to me, "Well, if I'm going to get a horse off the track, is there a family or a sire line that I want to avoid?" And typically, I'll say. Well, well, you got to really just look at the individual. But what, what's your thought? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I definitely agree with that because I know, I know now. Like as far as tappets can be kind of tough in the barn, tough racehorses. I do know of a few tappets that are show horses, and they're very nice. So it just it really depends on the individual as far as their mindset goes and, and how they are. And if, when you're up in Saratoga, I, matter of fact, I think you're showing this week. Am I correct? I'm, I'm actually, yeah, I'm going to do the, there's a two shows. Uh, the next show, which is a Skidmore show, it has the Take Two uh, program. This is a New York Breeders thoroughbred uh, class in the one show here. So I'm actually going to do that next Wednesday. And also there were 12, uh, the Wednesday that just passed, there were 12 thoroughbreds in the class. And as far as I've seen, that's the biggest class so far that I've ever seen of thoroughbreds. So... It tells you something from year to year. Hopefully, like it's getting more popular. You know, you've been involved with the Take Two program for a while. You want to tell us a little bit about it? The Take Two program was a program that Rick Violet uh, started, and it's been. I think it's, I'm trying to think how many years it's been around now. For they have it in most states, and they, um, as well as you know, obviously we all like getting ribbons but they give you an incentive with prize money. And then at the end of the year, as much points, it goes towards points. So I think there's, I mean, there's so much prize money at the end of the year to be given to the, the best hunter thoroughbred and the best um, jumper thoroughbred. So it's a, that's a great incentive program. Um, I've showed, now I've done the Florida shows, 
shows and the shows up here in the Take Two program. But they're everywhere. I mean, those Take Twos are like are everywhere. They have them at. I think they have them now at Try On, which is a big show that's going on now. They have them at Socrates. I mean, they have them everywhere. Now it's becoming more and more popular. And you know, Rick Rick's kind of a great guy because he was so involved with the Horsemen's, you know, movement in in New York and trying to make things work there, and did a great job in the aftercare. And yet, he's a great trainer, and, and that's so. Your your operation is kind of like that, also, you know, where you guys are so willing to give back, and that, I think that's a big big part of our business. Yeah, you have to. You know, you have to. This is a this is a special, as you know, this is a special industry to be in. You know, there's not many days off. There's not many holidays. You're you're here because you love horses, and it can be a trying job sometimes. And, and to give back to to the horse, you know, who's who's actually he's working for us. You know, it's just to give back to everybody and everything. Yeah, I, I respect Rick quite a bit, and obviously my boss and uh, brother-in-law here. Now, how is that working for your brother-in-law? It's great. He's, he's, you know, and even though he's my brother-in-law, he's a great guy. And, uh, he's just nobody, you know, there's, there, I can't, I don't have words sometimes of how good he treats everybody and treats people in general. And, um, yeah, he's just a great guy. You know, the other day when we were talking, you know, I had mentioned this to you and I, I really mean it. There's a lot of people I respect in the business. Kieran and, and and Neil and I don't know you as well. You, know, you guys are guy folks that I admire in the business because you do such a good job and you take such good care of your horses. Uh, and you know it's great having people like you, you folks in the business, and uh, we appreciate it. Oh, thank you. That means that means so much. I uh, I was the one that jumped on a little bit later. You know, Neil and Kieran have been uh, been together a little bit longer, a couple of years longer than I've I've been here, but. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, it's, you know, it's obviously tough to work with your partner, but uh, I feel we're just such a good team. You know, we do have our knockdown, drag them out, fight sometimes, but uh, we're, we're okay at the end of the day. <laughs> now, I, I know just from being stable in the same area as those guys and being at the clocker stand with Neil, one of his biggest concerns is what to pack when he leaves Florida to go to Keeneland because he doesn't know whether it's going to be hot or cold. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's funny. This The last couple of years, we haven't actually sent a string to Keeneland. We've just sent, we've just shipped in and run. So um, we have another uh, uh, assistant that we've just hired on to do, and uh, Roger, uh, one of our great riders who goes every year there, and uh, Juan Salcido, who's one of our foremen, and we just send them off and we just ship the horses to them so so neil doesn't have to go to keeneland anymore <laughs> and he doesn't have to worry about that that's great <laughs> <laughs> everybody else does because it could either be 80 degrees and sunny or it could be 35 and snowing you just never know right. that is so true uh hey trish <laughs> it's been a pleasure having you on the air uh hopefully we get to speak to you more often and uh you're a frequent visitor and uh, again, thanks a lot and send my regards. Anytime, anytime, great, anytime. And like I'm saying to everybody out there, go get yourself a thoroughbred. I have so much respect for people that are riding them and schooling them and showing them and, you know, retraining and selling. You know, just go on out there and get one. Well, we're going to try and get them to do that. And again, I appreciate you being on the show. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to be back with Stacy Clark Rogers, who is 
probably one of the best rehoming people in the industry. So we'll be right back. They are superstar athletes, but they don't ask for more money or go on strike. They bring their best every time they play. They are great thoroughbreds, retired, and old friends. And here's Commentator turning for home in the Whitney with a three-length lead. And here's Commentator to win the Whitney again. And boy, he did it with some front-running style today. All Commentator wants is a peppermint and to hang out with a couple of his pals, like Eclipse Award winners Hidden Lake and Sunshine Forever, or even a Breeders' Cup champ. Prize the surging Sierra Roberto toward the inside, but driving finish in the turf, and here's the wire, and it is prized! Many of the past superstars of our sport are still running around. So come visit them at Old Friends in Georgetown, Kentucky, or at our Bobby Frankel division, Old Friends in Saratoga. I know they'll be glad to see you. Go to oldfriendsequine.org or call us at 502-863-1775. When you head to a horse sale, either looking to buy or sell, you really don't know what's going to happen. In the blink of an eye, horses can leave the ring undersold or overpriced. But what if there was a better way to ensure a fair market price for both the buyer and seller? Here at The Stable, this fall, we're offering just that. We offer the ability to see your yearlings hard at work while giving you a better chance to make informed decisions that are calculated, not spur of the moment. We'll also provide in-depth commentary from our trainers, blacksmiths, and veterinarians on how each horse is progressing. Well, we'd like to welcome Stacy Clark Rogers to the show. Stacy, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. Before we get started, I have to tell the audience, years ago, I was commuting from just outside Atlantic City to Delaware Park. I was stabled up at Delaware Park for a short time, and it was about an hour drive, and I was always complaining about the commute. Stacy commutes from Lexington to Canada on a regular basis, so I guess I was kind of a commuting wuss, if you'd... That, that's got to be... Had that evolved, Stacy? Oh, well, it's actually, you know, first of all, I want to say I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a hero here. Everybody, I, I meet lots of people in the industry at the airport. Um, it's sort of a, it comes with a job. I think if we work in the thoroughbred industry, we all have to travel, whether we're, you know, an, um, an assistant traveling with the horses or a trainer or um, we're working uh, executive. I've bumped into Breeders' Cup members and, and Jockey Club members and airports. Everyone in this industry has to travel a fair bit. So, um, but it is, uh, it's an interesting path. I started up here at uh, Dina Springs. Um, working with the aftercare program, I'd been on the board at Woodbine with a group called Long Run, and then I came to Adina Springs and worked for them and ran an aftercare program for them, and um, a lot of great things came out of that. And one of the good things that came out of that was uh, the opportunity to assist in the in in the in the development and the growth of the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance. And so uh, three years ago, um, I came uh, to work uh, as a consultant, still working from Canada <clears throat> to the TAA. And uh, it's been it's been great. And your history in the sport is is lengthy. Uh, you, your mom was a trainer, am I correct? Yeah, my mom was a trainer back in the seventies. She actually was uh, the first Canadian woman to win a stake race. So that was a while ago. There's been a, there's <laughs> been a Canadian uh, Queen's Plate winner and everything since uh, since then. It was a female, but uh, yeah, it was my mom started training horses in seventy eight. So yeah, she trained then. And did she want you to be in the industry? Uh, no, my parents did everything to keep me out, like most parents of, uh, at the racetrack. I went to university. I, uh, I, was a, 
I was working in the film industry for a couple of years, three or four years, and uh, I was probably the most overeducated exercise rider by the time I just decided that's all I wanted to do was be at the track. And but but then you took out your your jocks license. Yeah, I rode for a couple of years. I was also the an elderly bug rider. I was a twenty nine year old bug rider. <laughs> an so, but elderly it was fun. Bug I mean, rider. I don't regret it. I had a great time, and uh, definitely, um, you know, there's. Uh, it's a good perspective. I think when you get to ride a race, you look at races your whole life and you look at training and you might be galloping on the racetrack or whatever. But when you get into the middle of a race, um, it's an awesome perspective, I think, from the sport. I wish there was some way to reenact it for everyone because it's a little bit like being on a quiet race car and, um, you know, it's uh, having a lot of horse underneath you, making those turns, having, you know, out there in competition with some of your best friends. Uh, yeah, it certainly is... Uh, it's a great thing to do, and I'm glad that I got a chance to do that. It was a great opportunity. Yeah, you know, even with the go cams and all the other stuff, you really don't get the feel of what's underneath you. I think uh, people will be surprised to hear that there's actually a lot of talking going on in the race. Like, you know, guys are saying things or girls are saying things. You know, you get into a little bit of trouble, you need your buddy to help you out. Um, it's um, There's a lot of conversation at the gate. So even the GoPros pick up a lot, and, they, and it's a really neat, neat perspective. Um, you can't feel that 360 feeling of having a horse on either side of you, close, tight, you know. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, the GoPro is great. I mean, GoPro lets us take a perspective of a lot of amazing sports now, but uh, definitely uh, riding a race, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a 360 experience that I think everybody should to one time get into, yeah. Yeah, no, you know, when we have owners out at the track for the first time or whatever, we take them to the, the head of the stretch, so mm-hmm. when the horses are coming out of the turn, yeah, and you know there's a lot, a lot of yelling and screaming and hooping and whatever, yeah. uh, so they can get a feel for it. But you're right, you know, if you're getting banged around a little bit, there, there's nothing quite as much fun, right? No, no, um, no, it's great. I mean, uh-huh. banged around in a good way. Like, I mean, you're just sort of jostling, but definitely riding a race is uh, like nothing else. I'm sure that's why you know guys like Gary Stevens and Mike Smith. Uh, it's incredible what you can push the body to nowadays, and to see them having, you know, be, being at the pinnacle of their career still at 50 years old, it's awesome. I mean, it is just such a, why would you want to do anything else? If you ever saw that movie, uh, uh, Being AP. Um, I did a couple yeah, of weeks ago. So that line where he says, what would ever be good about bleeping retiring? I mean, I, I think most jockeys identify <laughs> with that. There's, there's never a good day to retire from riding races. A, a while back, and it's a long while now, uh, I was at Charlestown, and there was a rider named Willie Clark. I don't know if you know his name, mm-hmm. but Willie rode until his late 60s. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. It's a, it's, a, it's a hard sport to give up, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and you know, here he is riding some bad horses, but you know, he had that need for speed. Yeah, you know, no, and, and uh, look at nowadays it's acceptable. I mean, really, when you have you know Mikey Smith and, and Gary Stevens and those guys – Riding and they're still so strong. I mean, you and and they're and and look at the Derby. I mean, Johnny V is he's not an older rider, but he's certainly a middle-aged rider. And your brain just starts to work when you get older. You start to figure out races and riding them. I mean, it's not just so much hope for the best. And I think um, when you can really put your cranium and your brawn and your brains together in it, it's a good thing. No, I, I agree with you. And I, in Johnny's case, I think you know the fact that he's with Angel, uh, Angel Cordero. Because Angel, even when he was younger, was a very physical rider, but towards the end of his career, he became pretty cerebral and, uh, you know, probably has a real good influence on him. No, no, they're both, uh, yeah, they're both geniuses in their own right. Now, you you had a pretty good career. I mean, you you won the Sovereign Award as a 
as a no, bug rider. I, that, no, I didn't win a Sovereign Award as a rider. I was nominated for a Sovereign Award as a rider. I actually okay. won a Sovereign Award as an associate producer with the team um, at Woodbine. So sometimes people get it mixed up and then won an Eclipse Award uh, with a TV program. But not, yeah, everyone starts and like, you, I didn't know you won a Sovereign Award. That's not, that's, <laughs> as a rider, no, I was nominated as Apprentice, yeah. It's still a pretty novel trifecta, right? Yeah, no, you it's know. good. <laughs> I have no complaints. <laughs> I have no complaints about this game. I love it, yeah. And, and so... You were in TV, and then how, how did you morph into the aftercare? I think we you, all you, morph into aftercare. I think we got, we come in it naive, and we think it's an awesome game, and we love it, and we're excited, and we love the, the passion and the excitement of being out there in the mornings, as you mentioned, or at the races in the afternoon to see the fruition of your work. And um, it's all very exciting, and it's a big part of who we are, and we identify with the relationships of the horses and um, the trainers, and it's very passionate, and you, you'd be far you know, it'd be hard to find somebody who works on the backstretch that just doesn't love the horses and love what they do. In, in the most case scenarios, it's awesome. Ninety uh, percent of the time, people are awesome, and trainers are doing great things, and it's wonderful. Um, I think what sort of turns everyone um, to a thought of aftercare is that you identify with a few horses after a while, and then you're sort of, well, what happened to that horse afterwards? You think of uh, like a gambler, like um, like Bayacek, who won the million dollars. I mean, after the horse won um, the race and, and he won the million dollars, he went back and claimed that horse because now he's identified with something that was significant. And I think when we start to identify with the animal um, and what a difference it's made in our lives, we know these things are good for us, um, we start to wonder about their future. And just as we get pensive about our own age and our own life and where we're going as we mature out of our 20s, um, we start to think about the horses. And so I don't think I'm any different than anyone else in the industry. Um, it sort of starts to ache away at us, hey, what happens next for an animal that lives to be sometimes 30 years old? And so you you got involved. You, you mentioned that you worked with Astronics in, at Adina Springs in Canada. And then how did you wind up at the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance? Well, uh, Jack Wolf uh, reached out to uh, Mr. Stronick and Adina Springs, um, to, you know, because we had an in-house program and we had a program at Gulfstream Park and um, something set up at Santa Anita with Karma. Um, and so, you know, he sort of uh, realized um, that he wanted to have input from all the industry leaders, and Mr. Stronick was one of them, as was, uh, you know, there was people at the table like Todd Pletcher and uh, Mike Rapoli and, you know, um, Jim Gagliano, all a bunch of, you know, Johnny V was even there um, to talk about the industry issue of aftercare. And we had a very significant meeting in um, March, in which I was lucky to go to to represent uh, the Stronic Group. And um, it became a brainstorming session in which I just kind of got intertwined into over the next two years um, and was a board member um, in 2012 and then uh, came to work for them. In like full-time in 2014. So can you tell us a little bit about the program? Yeah, I think it's an exceptional program, and, and really the heart of the matter is this is an industry pain point. Uh, we have uh, the need for aftercare and uh, an exit plan for our commodity, which is the racehorse. That's a business aspect of it. Uh, we love the horse. We want to see it go on to do good things. We know it can do good things. There is an exceptional amount of things horses can do, thoroughbreds can do specifically after racing. Anything from therapy with autistic kids to veterans to prisoners to um, we've had a horse go in the Olympics and went to Rio um, from a TA pro program. So the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance was developed to uh, find a way to find good aftercare groups the best in the country. We, you know, at any given time, there would be hundreds of 
animal rescues or animal retraining programs, but how do we find the best ones and how do we make them even better and make it a part of our industry, bring aftercare in to finish the hole from beginning to end for the horse. So um, after much debate and discussion with people much smarter than me, um, you know, Mike Moiser, Riley McDonald, Bob Elliston, Jack Wolf, all kinds of people, Madeline Orbach from Karma, um, everyone got together and, and came up with an accreditation uh, model, and they said, okay, well, we want them to hit these standards, and we want to have the gold standard. And they, and they, and they modeled the accreditation based on sort of a better business bureau point of view. How would we make sure that every aftercare group was the best at it in the industry? Um, and uh, we looked at other accrediting models, GFAS. It didn't fit for um, the thoroughbred industry. And so we, um, as a team, developed this accreditation model, and I will say that there's, you know, a staff behind that of uh, two people that run the accreditation that are phenomenal, and, um, and they do all of that. They take in the applications in the year, the people go through this accreditation process that hits off all the due diligence you would in any business, you know, what's your business plan, what's your operation, what's your budget, did you file your taxes, are you registered, all those boring things that no horse person wants to deal with, but we have to deal with because if we want it to be successful. And then uh, from that runs an inspection process, which is duly important, because we want to validate all the things for the industry. If we say this is a good group, you know, let's take old friends, our good friend Michael Blowen. Michael Blowen, we all love him, he's great, but is he doing a good business? Well, we don't want to say he isn't because we love him, but let's make sure we can say he is. And so when Michael hands over his application, it's awesome. You know, he's done everything he's supposed to do, and he's hit all the boxes, and here's his insurance, and here's all the things that you need to know about his business plan and where it's going to go. And so that that makes it a good investment for the industry. And so when we ask the industry to give us money, we have the proof that this is a good group. So it was a leap of faith for some of the industry leaders, and, I, and you know, we can't forget that they were right behind us at the beginning. The Jockey Club, Breeders Cup, and Keeneland jumped right in and started the group with some seed money. And... Um, you know, we're at a point now where we sustain about $2.5 million to donate every year. Um, we'd like to do better. It needs to do better in order to keep making these groups um, handle the export of horses out of the racing industry. But um, that's where we're at. You know, it's so important that you guys are doing the quality assurance. You know, there, and you know this better than I do. 15, 20 years ago, there were a lot of organizations saying that they were rescue organizations that really weren't. Yeah, and, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, you know, one thing we've learned is that we can't, we have to forgive all those groups, right? That, that they're, I think most people, when they started with aftercare of any kind or animal rescue, they go with the way, good intentions. They don't expect to get buried. I mean, you wouldn't think if you do good things, we have that saying, right? No good deed goes unpunished. My wife's favorite. <laughs> you, you can't, uh, probably, that's something between you and her, but anyway. <laughs> how, how, but, how did you know that? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm married. Um, but, you know, it's, I think you have this sort of, you know, you have to have this conscious acceptance that, okay, so as an industry, we owe it to ourselves to forgive and forget, and, and not forget, I guess, forgive, and move on. Yes, there were some problems with aftercare. Let that go. Move on. Let's see how we can help them. It's sort of like, you can, how many times can you punish a child at some point? You want them to rise up. So, um, you know, aftercare wasn't, I think, all the industry groups that tried to do it, you know, 30 years ago, they were the hardest hit. I mean, there were things they could never fight against. It was a, there was no social media to put pressure on people or organizations or, you know, to let people know what really was going on or how we could help. So um, we can't, you know, they were pioneers. And they just, we, 
you know, just like pioneers that came to this country, we certainly wouldn't be traveling on a wagon just because the pioneers did it, right? So um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and 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 that's a, a better way, a healthier way to look at it. Uh, going we, forward, we, we beat each other up enough in this industry. We don't need to do it in the aftercare. Boy, isn't that the truth? Yeah. Go, going forward, what 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 do you, what, what do you see? Well, I mean, it, I, you know, the model works. We've proven that. I think that's important. I think we've had a, you know, four-year plan of accreditation. Does accreditation work? Um, and, you know, is it perfect? Absolutely not. Is anything perfect? No. Um, but is it a good plan? Is it probably the best in the globe? At this point, yeah. I, I, you know, we've had some international conferences. We have another one next week in Washington. Um, we're very proud of what the TA has accomplished, how it's kind of, reorganized itself to set this bar higher every year for our group so that they still attain a higher, higher gold standard. Um, but, um, in, you know, we have to work. It has to work. There's no, there's no, it, it, it there isn't an option here. Um, it has to work because aftercare is such an integral part of our industry. And, um, we already know by looking at other animal entertainment groups, um, we have to be cognizant and aggressive as an industry in taking care of this, because if we don't, then we're really going to end up in a, in a mess where somebody else is controlling uh, what we do or what we become. And um, the public wants to hear the good story. They want to hear that horse racing does take care of its horses, and we need to do a better job of telling that story, and we need to do another, a better job of funding that story. Well, I, I appreciate your passion, and it's so obvious in your voice when you're, when you're talking about the program, and it, it's so needed. We hope to have you on the show regularly, uh, especially as we're we're developing the circuit down here in Florida. We you know look for your advice and direction as well. And uh, uh, Stacy, I really really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy this morning, and I appreciate you fitting us in. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. And uh, we're going to take a brief break, and uh, Michael Blowen will be back with us from Old Friends, and uh, we'll be back in about two minutes. They are superstar athletes, but they don't ask for more money or go on strike. They bring their best every time they play. They are great thoroughbreds, retired at Old Friends. And here's Commentator turning for home in the Whitney with a three-length lead. And here's Commentator to win the Whitney again. And boy, he did it with some front-running style today. All Commentator wants is a peppermint and to hang out with a couple of his pals, like Eclipse Award winners Hidden Lake and Sunshine Forever or even a Breeders' Cup champ. Prize the surging Sierra Roberto toward the inside. A driving finish in the turf, and here's the wire, and it is prized. Many of the past superstars of our sport are still running around. So come visit them at Old Friends in Georgetown, Kentucky, or at our Bobby Frankel division, Old Friends in Saratoga. I know they'll be glad to see you. Go to oldfriendsequine.org or call us at 502-863-1775. When you head to a horse sale, either looking to buy or sell, you really don't know what's going to happen. In the blink of an eye, horses can leave the ring undersold or overpriced. But what if there was a better way to ensure a fair market price for both the buyer and seller? Here at the stable, this fall, we're offering just that. We offer the ability to see your yearlings hard at work while giving you a better chance to make informed decisions that are calculated, not spur of the moment. We'll also provide in-depth commentary from our trainers, blacksmiths, and veterinarians on how each horse is progressing. And they're off in the 
Kentucky Derby. On the far outside, Freehouse, the gray, quickly going for the lead. Pulpit is right there into the second spot, and Concerto shows early speed in third at the wood. Between horses, that silver charm with the yellow sleeves racing fourth. Jamie Davis, the horse who is in trouble in the gate, is fifth in the red and white colors. And on the far outside, the long shot, Crimson Classic going to get caught wide at the first turn. Pulpit battling with Freehouse. Those two in a duel up front. Now Pulpit with Shane Sellers takes command. Freehouse on the outside is second by a length and three quarters. At the rail, Carlos Marquez has Concerto right there, saving ground in third. Silver Charm with Gary Stevens fourth on the outside. Phantom on tour is next in the orange colors with Jerry Bailey. Then on the outside is the long shot, Crimson Classic. Along the inside, Captain Bodgett now beginning to close a little ground. Shammy Davis, deeds not words. Hello is third last. To make that fourth last, along the inside, Crypto Star. Jack Flash is second last. And far, far back, Celtic Warrior, about 18 lengths from the front. And back on the front end, the battle continues with Pulpit on the inside and Freehouse on the outside. Flores with Freehouse on the outside and Pulpit with Shane Sellers. Shane asks for a little more speed and gets it. And here comes Gary Stevens with Silver Charm, three wide and gaining. Jerry Bailey looks for a little racing room with Phantom on tour and Captain Bodgett is flying. He's fifth in the red cap on the outside, top of the lane in the Derby. Freehouse gets the lead. Silver Charm on the outside. Pulpit at the rail back to third. And here comes the captain. And down the stretch they come. Silver Charm to the front. On the inside, Freehouse on the outside. Captain Bodgett. It's Captain Bodgett on the outside. Silver Charm at the rail. Those two to the wire. Here's the finish. Silver Charm by a neck with Gary Stevens. Michael, I know you enjoyed that race call. Oh, Les, that was fabulous. Really fabulous. I, I, you know, I'm out here. I'm in the house, and I'm looking out the backyard. I'm watching Silver Charm eating grass, and I look over to the right, and there's Touch Bowl. <laughs> pretty amazing, huh? And I know he's one of your yeah. favorite horses, right? Oh, Silver Charm's my favorite horse of all time, yep. 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 And, it, you know, Michael, what you do is one of our favorite things of all time, uh, the way you've developed old friends. And for those those folks who aren't familiar with old friends – uh, maybe you can just spend a couple of seconds giving them an overview of what you've done there. Sure. You know, we started Old Friends about 13 years ago uh, with the idea of, uh, you know, providing dignified retirement to all these racehorses. Like, and I certainly enjoyed uh, Stacy Clark talking to you a few minutes ago because the TAA, Thoroughbred Aspen Airlines, has done a marvelous job at helping raise the money that's necessary to take care of these animals. Um, and also... Also, the other thing they've done that's so great is they've, uh, you know, they, they accredit organizations. So we know if, if a horse is transferred from one of the accredited organizations to another, we know they're going to be in a safe place because uh, the accreditation committee of the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance does an amazing job at making sure everybody's standards are the best uh, that they can possibly be for the uh, good of the horse. So that's really good. Yeah, this is... So we started it with one horse and uh, 13 years ago, and now we take care of about 170. We have 107 here at our location at, in Georgetown. Then we have uh, old friends at Cabin Creek up in the Greenfield Center right outside Saratoga Springs. 
And we also have a location now down at Kentucky Downs. So it's the first so, time they've had retired horses at, at a racetrack so people can come and visit. And which is a great idea. And Kentucky, Kentucky Downs is a great location for it because they can get the horses out and do different things with them, I guess. Yeah, and they're, they're right there, right? As soon as they come over the Tennessee line from Nashville, they're, they're right there. And Corey Johnson's been tremendous uh, helping us uh, maintain that facility and supporting it. And Jennifer Jones uh, is our farm manager down there, and she does a terrific job taking taking care of them. You know, unless when we started, we didn't have too many famous racehorses, but about three months after we started, it was discovered that or Barbara Bayer wrote an article in the Blood Horse about how it was likely that Ferdinand died in a slaughterhouse overseas. And so then we started to bring the horses home from overseas, and we've been we have a great relationship now with the Japanese Blood Horse Breeders Association and with the JRA, the Japanese Racing Association, and with Dr. Yoshida and everyone at Shaddai Stallion Station. And we've been able to bring uh, nine stallions home from Japan once their breeding careers were over. So, And that's how we got Silver Charm. But uh, the scope for more. Th- I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, please. No, I was just. He was going to. He was over there for about 12 years breeding, and the great thing is the late Robert Lewis and his wife Beverly put away some money so that when it was time for him to come home, he would have the he would have the resources to do it. And Jeff Lewis, uh, Robert and Beverly Lewis's son, uh, paid for all of the costs to bring Silver Charm home. So I I not only got to keep Silver Charm in my yard, he's not. And not only is he available every day to see all of his fans, uh, we didn't have to raise any of the money. It was all there for him. So, and, and that was what my question was going to be. You took this concept and you've made it into something that's um, amazing. You know, 170 head, you have three locations, but also such a presence in the industry uh, with some of the ancillary things that you do. How did this all come about in your mind? I mean, that, that amazes me because well, you, you're a movie critic, right? Yes, yes. Well, you know, what I've kind of concluded after all this is that if you have a good idea and the time is right for that particular idea, even if you don't know what you're doing, which is me, uh, the idea will eventually succeed. <laughs> um, and that's pretty much what happened. I mean, it's evolved into something very, very special. We just had our our 13th annual homecoming uh, on the day on the Sunday right after the Derby. And it was astounding. We had more than 400 people here. Uh, Terry Finley and the people from West Point, his family came. And, of course, they part owners of the Derby winner. Uh, Bill and Susan Kasner had, had all those great horses at Windstar and still have a lot of nice horses in, uh, in, in training and in their breeding operation. Uh, Jack Knowlton, who owned Funnyside, Funnyside won the Derby. They all came. Uh, Sandy Hawley was here, the jockey, along with Chris McCarron and Jean Cougay. Uh, just uh, an amazing group. Uh, Pat Valenzuela came. Uh, it's all because they want to see these amazing horses. And one of the things I'm proudest of is you know, Tim Wilson, our farm manager, has put together just an amazing team of people to take care of these horses. The Thursday before the Derby, 
Bob and Jill Baffert and Bodie were here to see Silver Charm, War Emblem, uh, Jimbo Fallon, Dan the Bluegrass Man, their, their horses particularly. And as they were leaving, Jerry Moss was coming up the driveway. Uh, Jerry wanted to see some of the horses that we re- retired for him. And they come here because they like it, and that's the key to the whole thing. They come here because they, they can see the horses have grass. They're really, really well taken care of. Uh, Dr. Park over at Park Equine does all of our veterinary work for free. Our resident vet, uh, Dr. Waldridge, or our head vet, also works for Park. And, you know, they don't even send us a bill. Uh, so well, it's, what you're doing it's a is magnet important, for all that is good in horse racing. What's that? What you're doing is so important. You know, and, you know, I know you have lots of volunteers because, you know, as I've communicated with people in your organization, you know, there's a, a tremendous amount of dedication from top to bottom in your group. And that's probably that's- why it works so well. That's precisely it, uh, Les. It's precisely it. It's a great team. It's like putting together, it's like the OFC putting together the Red Sox and then putting together the Cubs. You know, I was waiting for you to bring the Red Sox up. I I knew it was going to (laughs) come. Well, yeah, I'm a huge Red Sox fan. That's why I ended up in Boston. But but the other coincidence kind of is that I took Theo Epstein to his first Celtics game when he was seven years old. (laughs) And I've known his family forever. And, and what if, I mean, he's, he, he's another genius, you know. Well, he, he's, uh, he, he, he's, he's an amazing guy. And, you know, and he put together, you know, he put together a, a team. And, and when he, you know, when you start to see the overall picture, it's pretty obvious what you, what you need. And, uh, you know, we have Antonio Marin, who's our stallion guy now, and, and Tim and, and Carol Oates and, you know, uh, James and Tammy Krupp, who are, who are married, and they, they work for us tirelessly. And when our barn burned down a year and a half ago, they're the ones that got Arsons. They, they're the ones that got Arsons. They're the ones that got Archie's Echo and Alphabet Soup out of the barn and saved their lives. Wow. Wow. So we just, uh, when people like this idea, they'll do anything to help you. It's absolutely amazing. Well, you know, I've had, you know, you mentioned. A lot of the well-known people in the business that were at the party last week and that came to visit. But I have friends that, you know, gallop horses or, you know, grooms that have been out to the farm. And they feel like they've been treated the same way that a VIP does. Uh, they feel, yeah, feel we treat everybody the same. It's very egalitarian. We do it. And, you know, we write thank you notes whether people donate a dollar or a thousand dollars. It's the same thing. It's exactly right. Because... Uh, it can't be measured in dollars and cents. It can only be measured in in these people going out of their way to try and contribute whatever they can uh, to help these horses. So their their the, the commitments are all the all the same, regardless of the donation and regardless of their status in the in the racing business. I mean, some of the people we've had come here. Uh, every one of our horses has a different story. Uh, we had a horse here. Uh, who's passed on named Taylor Special. And a lot of people may not remember Taylor. Yeah, he was 19... a nice little racehorse. Yeah, he was. He was the winner. He was a favorite for the Derby, I believe, that year. I think it was 84, 85. Yeah. And Taylor uh, won the Louisiana Derby, won the Bluegrass Stakes. A nice horse. And one day, 
this, this guy came to the farm, and he was probably in his late 30s or maybe early 40s. And uh, he was just on a regular tour. And when he saw Taylor Special's grave, he dropped to his knees and started to cry. I'm going, oh, my God, this is really amazing. And I took the rest of the tour, and we left him alone. And then after the tour, I said, what's, what's that? I said, well, are you okay? And he said, yeah. He said, but I didn't know Taylor Special was here. He said, for, for two years, I worked for Bill Mott, and every day all I did was take care of this horse. And for that period of time, that, this horse was not, not just my best friend. He was my only friend. And uh, it was amazing. He was his groom. And then about maybe four months later, we got a box of things from him, including scrapbooks, with every article that was ever, was ever written about Taylor Special and also his saddlecloth from when he won the Chaucer Cup. Uh, all kinds of other things. So everybody that comes here comes in with a story, you know, leaves with a story. And uh, I tell people all the time, we charge a $10 donation for a tour now. And I, to- I tell them if they don't like it, I'll give them $20 on their way out. So far, nobody's <clears throat> taken me up on it. Now, you know, it's tremendous. The story that you just told them is something that's so important because a lot of times we forget the tremendous impact that these horses have on on individual people. You know, American Pharaoh winning the Triple Crown, yeah, that has a lot of impact on a lot of people. But that one-on-one, that bonding that these horses have to people is an, is an amazing thing. It is amazing. You know, there's a, a friend of ours in Georgetown that passed away last year named, named Mr. Soroka. And he was, in, he was the president of the Georgetown Walking, Running, Intellectual, and Drinking Club. <laughs> and the only <laughs> sounds thing like one you and I would drink in order to join. <laughs> Pardon? It sounds like one you and I would join. Yeah, exactly. As long as I didn't have to run, I'd be fine. I could barely walk, but I, can, I could drink and gamble and do all that other stuff. Um, but anyway, he, he passed on, and this, the group got together, and they bought him a bench with his picture on it and, uh, and his dates. And they said, can we put it on the farm? I said, yeah, sure, of course. So they, put, they said to me that the greatest day of his life is when he bet $100 on Sarava in the Belmont. And Sarava, of course, went on and paid, what, 140-something dollars. Blues, exactly. And uh, so now he, so they put the bench overlooking Sarava's paddock. <laughs> so Mr. Soroka could look over there every day and make sure that his horse was good, and that was the happiest day of his life. So they wanted to put the bench overlooking his paddock. Now he'll be eternally happy. Yes, exactly. I wish if I had a ticket, I could have had a bench. I'm not going to get a bench. I never made money on any of these horses. <laughs> but, but you, you know... Uh, you know, obviously, I'm a big fan of Ursula Ellis, and uh, Ursula was on the show a few weeks ago. So I listened to you and Ursula, and I know that you like to go to the simulcast. Yes. And, I do like and, to go to the simulcast. I thought, when I started this whole, when I started to get involved with the horses, it wasn't because I was in love with the horses. It was, I thought if I learned about the horses, I would uh, become a better handicapper, which, of course, is not true. But I ended up 
after working for, for Carlos Figueroa at the bottom of the barrel at Suffolk Downs for a couple of years as a groom, I started falling in love with the horses. And as soon as you fall in love with the horses, or as soon as you fall in love with anything, your life is going to change in a remarkable way. So, Tell us a little bit happened. about that, because you, you were the movie critic for the Boston Globe. Yeah. And while you were writing, you kind of got involved a little bit in, at Suffolk Downs, right? Yes, that's correct. I, uh, I, I, when I was a kid and a horse would come in on a Sports Illustrated, I'd throw it away because I didn't believe that they were athletes. I thought it was stupid. And then, of course, now I know they're superior athletes, they're human counterparts, but then I didn't think that. But I had an editor at the Globe named Robert Taylor, and I was a mediocre writer at best, and he was a spectacular editor. He, he would look at your copy and he'd spin it around like he was doing a Rubik's Cube. And literally, within 90 seconds, he'd, he'd taken a really kind of dull piece and put some spark into it. He'd move a sentence here, he'd take out a word, he'd add a word. You know, he'd just move things around. All of a sudden, you read it. And I said, boy, if I hang around with this guy, I'm going to learn how to do this. And he called me one day and he said a friend of his who was the foreign correspondent for Time Magazine, and, and Bob and a couple of other guys were all going to the racetrack that I want to come, and I would have gone anywhere to hang out with these guys. So I went. And I went to the track at Suffolk, and I had a blast. I loved everything about it. I loved the conversation. I liked the handicapping. I learned, the, you know, I started to learn how to read the racing forum, and I liked the challenge of that. And there's nothing about it that I didn't like, and, and that's what, and I was probably in my late twenties when when that happened. So it's amazing that it's all evolved into what it what it's become. I mean, <laughs> I walked out of this. <clears throat> they did a roast a couple of weeks ago at Keeneland for Wayne Lucas, and a lot of his uh, uh, pupils were there. You know, Todd Pletcher, Mike Maker, and Karen McLaughlin, and Dallas Stewart. Ron Moquette, and anyway, so I was walking out, and I was shoulder to shoulder with Todd Fletcher, and I told him, I said, Todd, if you work really hard over the next 10, oh, I should say, he started the conversation by asking me how things were going, and he's been very supportive of aftercare. No, he's been great. He got a Dodge truck when he won the Derby. He donated, he's going to keep the truck, but he's donating the value of the truck to the TAA, to Stacey Clark and her group, which is just fabulous. But anyway, so we're walking out, and we're shoulder to shoulder, and I said, Todd, if you work really hard over the next 10 years, you might have as many stakes winners as I've got. Because <laughs> 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 I think we have more stakes winners here, actually, more grade one winners anyway than any farm in history. No, it's hardly a grade Ross- one in the United States, so one of our horses hasn't won at one time or another. The roster you know, is just incredible, but, but you have a lot of horses that didn't win Grade ones. Are, yes, we do. Yeah, we and, do. And, and you know that's that's the cool thing about what you're doing is that, and your your commercial, you know, really kind of mentions that you know all these great horses kind of pick up the slack and help help the other guys stay around. That's correct. Uh, we got a horse named Archie's Echo. There's a group up in Pennsylvania called Turning for Home that was instrumental in helping us get. Archie Zach, along with Sam Elliott, the racing secretary up at Park. And uh, 
Archie was so skinny he couldn't even make the. He wasn't even purchased by the kill buyers. He didn't have enough weight on him to get the. He wasn't worth three or four hundred dollars, and I think they ended up buying him for twenty bucks. And they and they sent him here, and he. I remember him running at Suffolk Downs like twenty three year, twenty two or twenty three years ago, and he's doing great now. He's gained about two hundred and forty five pounds, and he's so sweet. And here's this old claimer running for the bottom, and uh, is you know if he weighed anymore, he probably would have gone to the killer buyers, but he didn't, and he ends up down here. And honestly, God, he's in a stall right next to the Silver Charm and right across the alphabet. So. Good neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, I should say. <laughs> step up Mike, Mike, and roll, Archie. Michael, we're, we're running out of time, but I want to thank you, for, first of all, for being on the show, and secondly, for all the good work that you do. And I don't know if you probably didn't hear at the beginning of our show, we formed an organization down here in Florida called the Florida Thoroughbred Horse Show Association, and we're going to be doing all thoroughbred shows. Uh, there's going to be four of them, and we're going to be naming a class after old friends. So, oh, isn't that great? Yeah, you know, we because we really, really appreciate the work that you do, and uh, you know we'll keep you posted, and maybe we'll get you down here uh, for the championship or something like that. But oh, you, I, you I do love to come to everybody down there, everybody at Gulfstream Park, especially Mr. Stronic and uh, and Mike Rogers, and everybody has been so so helpful, helpful to us. You know, little Mike is here now too. Is Carlo Vaccarese made sure we got little right. Mike? You know, it's, yeah. No, it's, I it's, looked at the roster. Been great to us. You, you know, your roster would be a racing secretary's dream. Yeah, I told them over at Cleveland they should write a race for nine winners of a race in fifteen years would be a shoe in. <laughs> you can fill the starting <laughs> gate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mike, Michael, as always, a pleasure. Uh, hopefully, we get to speak to you soon. And uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Les, anytime is my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. And folks, thank you for joining us. Uh, Trish McLaughlin, uh, Stacey Rogers, Michael Blowen, great show. We really appreciate it. We'll see you soon. And thank you from the Equisport Radio Network. <laughs>